Because I think most people nod their head and say, yes, yes, I want to have more purpose in my life. Um, but then it becomes scary, too big, too um, consequential. So it just becomes this, this kind of mysterious concept that we want but don't necessarily know how to apply. This is Jeff Bastian, and you're listening to Ignited with Meaning. And that clip you just heard was Lara Galinsky. Lara is an author, consultant, and coach who lives, breathes, and teaches purpose. And today she's going to help us demystify this concept of purpose so that we can make it more accessible in our everyday lives. One of the ways she's going to do that is by helping us out with habits. You know, habits are a funny thing. For example, a couple years ago, I was really trying to exercise more often, but I was having trouble making it consistent. Then I saw this TED Talk about creating habits, and all of a sudden I had this recipe for making them that I could try. The recipe for habits was simple. Set your goals low, not high, and you can always grow them over time. Set up a triggering event, like right after you brush your teeth, and build in some reward for when you finish. So I think I get it, and here's how I try it out. I work on the 10th floor of an office building, and I figure it's not much, but what if I climb the stairs every day I worked? So to get this habit going, instead of saying I'm going to do all 10 flights, I say I just have to do one. That's it. And I always do it on my way in. And nine times out of 10, uh, instead of stopping after the first floor, I just keep going all the way to the top. And the reward is built in. I've got friendly colleagues and they are regularly telling me, hey, nice job, when they see me out of breath on the 10th floor at 9 a.m. I've been doing this now for over three years. And I estimate that in that time, I've climbed over 5,000 flights, uh, which is as much as climbing Mount Everest two and a half times. So I doubt I can really climb Mount Everest, but that's a lot of steps. So at this point, I'm feeling pretty good about creating daily habits around things like exercise. But when it comes to your vision of your best self, How do you create habits that get you closer to the person that you want to be? In this episode, Laura and I talk about how having a clearly defined purpose in our lives can transform us and the world around us, and how to develop habits that can help us live that out every day. So without further ado, let's pick up the conversation with me speaking with Laura from her New York apartment and figure out how to make our ideal as reachable as climbing the stairs. Spent most of my life here, I'm still here. New York is so vibrant. I know the energy is overwhelming for for many of us and sometimes for me, Um, but it's home for me. I I just see it as plentiful, <laughs> just lot, full of choice, full of energy, full of different pockets, always uh, have opportunities for new discovery. Um, as I am talking to you, I hear a siren in the background, which is a very uh, familiar New York sound. <laughs> um, just really, really love it here. 
When you were growing up in New York, did you have any role models uh, for living a meaningful life? Absolutely. I feel very, very blessed that my parents uh, example um, so much of how we understand who we are um, and our values and our virtues so obviously come from <laughs> those who influence us the most. And for many of us, those are our, our immediate family members. And my parents' examples were one of this is your life. This is the gift that has been given to you and, um, how you live it and the decisions you make around it. Um, it's, it's a privilege to be able to be in choice. Uh, and they showed me what it looked like to be in choice. So for my father, who for many of his years, um, my parents, first of all, to give you a tiny bit of background, grew up in West Virginia and moved to New York um, right after they were married in um, um, kind of post-college. And my dad's way out of West Virginia was um, through science. He was um, really strong, winning lots of competitions. He was a budding um, engineer, got kind of a full ride um, engineering. The problem was he hated it. And right after I was born is when they, uh, my parents made a family decision to say, okay, you don't like this, even though it's upwardly mobile, stable, financially lucrative for, for the family, but this doesn't work for you and therefore it doesn't work for the family and this is your life. And so he made the decision to do something that had been a big part of his heart but not a big part of his practice, which was art. Oh, wow. So he went back to get his MFA, um, having really just done it very casually, having never really seen himself as an artist. It's among the first classes at Columbia's uh, fine arts program and has been an artist ever since. So I grew up with him as an artist. I did my homework in his, his studio, you know, amongst the saw and paint and all the different pens and cool things that he had there. And you know how we have these strong family stories that just get passed on? Uh -huh. um, it, it's a big part of my identity because it's a big part of the family story. It was based on my mom getting a tiny little raise um, as a teacher that enabled them to feel confident that he could, his income could be eliminated and they could take this really huge risk. They actually moved to a community in New York that was an artist community right outside New York City, um, intentionally because they wanted to be surrounded by other artists. Was there ever a time that your family felt like this path wasn't going to work out, that your dad being an artist uh, wasn't the right decision or that they had somehow made a misstep? I don't think it's ever been questioned. I think that the what came with that decision were a lot, a cascade of other other decisions that were trade-offs, right? So that, right, one trade-off is working for yourself and working as an artist, unless you're part of the 1% that can make a living off of it, um, it or whatever percent, I'm sort of making that up, but um, it, it's, it's hard, right? So it is privileging one thing over another thing. Um, and I think that that, um, but that was never, it was never questioned um, I think working for yourself and not having a, a boss kind of um, means a different kind of way of showing up in the world. I mean, but I don't think it was ever something where um, 
there was any regrets. So that said to me, uh, even though the decisions might not be as practical, it is your life and you get to make decisions around it. And with my mom's example, what I saw in her was about what it looks like to be pioneering. Uh, she has led, they both work um, full time and I think they will forever because that's what meaning is for them is to apply whatever they do with their time with what is most meaningful. And for that, for my mom, she's been led by big questions that have always been um, captivated her. Like how do kids learn? Literally what is going on? What is child development? What are these, <laughs> what's happening with babies that we just, we don't, where, where all of a sudden they're going from kind of seemingly not doing much to learning language, to walking. What is this thing called child development? And so she has guided her life uh, through those big questions. She's written dozens and dozens of books, hundreds of um, academic papers, started a nonprofit organization research-based called the Families and Work Institute that did research to inform decision-making around work and family life and also how we raise our kids. She's working on a book on adolescence, also to work in family life and how we navigate kind of this thing called work, this thing called family, this thing called being a community member, being a friend. You can see a lot of both of their examples in the choices I've made. So your dad had this really interesting situation where there's he really wanted to leave West Virginia and this thing that enabled him to do it, engineering, um, was ultimately something that left him feeling like, you know, that that just wasn't how he wanted to spend the rest of your life. Was that also true of your of your mom? Would did she start in one profession and then wind up in another, or did she start and? Uh, uh, no, mm-hmm. in her example, she knew early on that it was about child development, and so she went to college and studied child development. She got her master's in child development. She started as a teacher. She went right to kind of filmmaking and then research. It's been. Um, a straighter line for her, which is unusual. Uh, but um, in so the big questions have always guided her. But as she gets to understanding and deeper discovery, her her the ecosystem gets wider and the connections between the different fields expand out. And I'd actually say with my father, you can see his science in his art. And then he added another modality, which is healing and energy work which is very connected to science and very connected to art. Actually, he's a 40-year practitioner of um, um, internal martial art form called Qigong and actually dozens of others. Um, so the, the overlaps, I, I see in both their examples what it looks like to have these overlapping circles of interest and, and sort of threading um, a life uh, in these overlapping circles. Sometimes they fit really nicely and sometimes they don't. Sometimes it makes sense to kind of keep them somewhat separate. Sometimes it actually is really beautiful to kind of see how to um, make them more aligned in your day to day. Um, But she had more of a straight line, which I don't see in today's, in a lot of people I work with today, quite the straight line that um, I've seen in her example. Yeah, yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I know from my, you know, experience, it's not a straight line. No. (laughs) And with something else that's kind of interesting that I didn't realize, I realized this more when I was, I would say middle school to teenage years, um, but they had a lot of role reversals uh, than a lot of my peers, meaning that um, 
my mom's career was really big. And that's not to say my dad's career wasn't big, but it was very external. It was running an organization. It was traveling a lot. It was books. It was book tours. My dad, whose studio was built in, in our home, our child, my childhood home, was accessible. So I also had this other interesting gender uh, reversal uh, that is also a big part of my own identity and has made me particularly interested in um, women's um, power and career and um, the different ways in which our family's examples um, become part of our own identity. Yeah, that, I mean, that bleeds into one of the questions that I had for you, which is, um, you know, in what ways do you think uh, these these role models helped shape you and your identity and, and you know, your uh, desire to have a meaningful life? It was one of those things that just was until I realized that a lot of people didn't have that lens or upbringing. In other words, it just what there was just this kind of not even incredibly vocal, but, but just a, a, but very powerful message in their example and kind of the, the, the family traditions and rituals that embedded in me this idea that life is a gift and how can you make the most difference? Like those are the biggest kind of messages that I received. So by the time I was in high school and college, it was all about what are the ways in which I can make the most difference? Like why, like, why wouldn't you try no matter, no matter what, no matter your circumstances, no matter um, whether you had the opportunity to kind of, um, no matter the pressures. And I saw around me that a lot of people had very strong expectations of what success looked like. Um, and for my example, the success was how can you contribute? How can you be a, a member of society that makes a difference? And so to see how a lot, there was a lot more unlearning that had to happen for other people to kind of be able to recraft their lives to something that gave them more fulfillment and meaning um, was something that I took for granted. So for me, when I graduated from college, the overarching question was, what do I really care about and how, um, how can what I care about make a difference? Um, and that became the lens through which I looked for a job, my first job at college. So going back to this period of time for you, which was immediately post-college or any time around it, uh, when do you remember first thinking you had a purpose and what was it? Yeah, I don't know that if I thought about the word purpose itself or had done any kind of deliberate purpose purpose work until I got really much more motivated around understanding the academics and the science of purpose, which was only about, I would say, eight years ago. Um, but it was a concept that was embedded in everything I did. I just don't, I didn't have a name for it. It goes back to kind of like the language of things. Um, but for me, I was, I would say I would call myself mission driven. Um, at the time I really, really, really believed in kind of my own personal theory of change was all about young people and had this real faith that young people, um, as a young person myself and having being surrounded by other young people saw the, um, the power and the ingenuity and the examples of um, what young people can do when they put their marks, when their minds and hearts into something 
um, and organize and get motivated and energized around a particular cause um, or a community or an investment or whatever it was. Uh, and so that was my motivating factor for the good first part of, um, I would say, my high school slash college. I was really into the environment. Um, and so I just had lots and lots and lots of activities that were reflective of things I believed in. Okay, so it was, it wasn't uh, a specific purpose definition or something like that, no. but it was uh, this environmental or uh, youth organizing mission that you had at that time. When I graduated from college, it was like, okay, what organizations uh, are working in youth leadership that I absolutely um, love in the nonprofit sector, and I found an organization whose mission literally viscerally resonated with me when I heard, when I, um, heard about them and I read about their materials, I basically was like, I need to figure out how to work there. It's called do something. It's now called do something.org and just needed to work there. Cause I was like, Oh, their mission matches my mission. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a, a great job right out of college. So you said that it was about eight years ago then when you were looking at more of the academic research and uncovered this word purpose. Yeah. You know, at that time, did you then cultivate a more specific purpose in line with what the definition of purpose means? Yes. So at that time, I was working for an organization called Echoing Green. And Echoing Green is a seed funder of social change organizations around the world. And as a seed funder, we took the role very seriously as being sort of like a gateway to our propellant into kind of the social impact, social entrepreneurship world. And so many people applied for the Equine Green Fellowship. They were coveted. We were looking at what are the factors that make the most difference to help some Equine Green Fellows really, really thrive. And it was in that inquiry that I came across purpose as a, as a construct, right? A scientific adult development or, or just a human development construct psychological construct that, and I started to study it. And when I studied it, it was almost like that first time that I had heard about, uh, do something.org, uh, when I was graduating from college, the construct of purpose at the time was also visceral. I, it was like, if you're in touch enough with your body and you know, when you're getting excited, it was that moment where I was reading about it. And then I started Googling more and Googling more and like my heart would be faster. I lose track of time um, because I just felt something here is really, really important. And, I've, and again, I've, it's not that I wasn't familiar with purpose. And of course I use the word purpose a lot, um, but I didn't realize that there was at that time, 20 years of uh, study um, behind it. And it was a field and that there was, a lot of layers and um, people interested. And it was essentially a burgeoning field um, and of a very, very old, very powerful uh, concept. Um, and so that made me realize a few things. One is um, it gave it legitimacy, right? The fact that it had all this kind of study behind it um, that was part of the, the part of me that needs something to be science-backed and, and um, that you can kind of thank my mom and dad for that part. Um, and also that it, it really dawned on me in the moment that 
wow, what Equine Green Fellows, these people who we provide seed funding and help them um, um, launch these really powerful, path-breaking organizations all around the world in kind of every issue area you can imagine, that's what we're actually supporting. We're supporting their strong sense of purpose and um, saying, I believe in your purpose. And we're giving, we believe in your purpose so much that we're giving you money. And the purpose for them is in the form of an organization. And for most of us, it's not in the form of an organization. And that's what led me down this path to, uh, that's um, carrying me forward today. Wow. So, uh did that realization, did that filter through to the evaluation criteria of, you know, who you decided to give money to or not? It did inform um, some of our questions that we asked our fellows. It is something that we uh, ended up talking to, um, or it, it was language that was embedded in um, the Equine Green Fellowship at the time. I'm no longer with Equine Green, but I think it's still part of um, the application questions. And um, yeah, I think, uh, and I think it was, I think we talked thing, about things more as a passion um, previously in it. And I think purpose got kind of overlaid <laughs> um, because it was kind of more encompassing. And I really now understand the difference between a passion and a purpose. Um, and so think that purpose is actually a little, is, is more relevant Yeah. when we think about kind of organizing our lives and something that's really aspirational. Tell me more about the feeling you said that when you uncovered uh, purpose and is, is that something, it, it, what's, what was special about that feeling? I mean, it sounds almost like flow, like you lost a sense of time <laughs> yeah. as you're yeah. researching it. I, I have a name for it, um, that, that feeling, um, and I call it moment of obligation. Um, and the reason why I call it moment of obligation is because the obligation is to yourself because there's something inside of you that your body is picking up the, the wise (laughs) body is picking up on something before, um, our brain can process it. And I do I do believe and have experienced that that often happens, that even if it's a millisecond before our brain catches up, our body feels something. And if um, we're we're mindful enough and we have um, the ability to align, that um, we can recognize it and therefore say, ah, something is here. Something is here that um, means something to me. And if it means something to me, that matters. And then it becomes... um, a portal to be able to then investigate what is it. <laughs> um, and sometimes it takes a few, a few different um, feelings before it gathers enough weight for us to say, okay, I get it. <laughs> right. Um, you're, you're trying to wake me up here. And now I can recognize the signs that I'm called and it's now up to me to heed that call. Um, but yeah, it's just a visceral, um, it, um, kind of quickening is the way I describe it. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to use the word obligation or calling. It almost suggests that there's there's not a free will associated with it. How do you think about that? I think we are the sum of all the different experiences 
and influences and wounds and challenge moments and messages and high points and um, everything in between. Um, and that kind of melange of stuff crafts who we are. And um, it's kind of this, um, a unfolding as, as we develop and that the, it's why I believe so much in reflection and being in choice. Um, so reflection gives us the opportunity to understand and investigate and gives us space to, to be able to do that. And in many cases, a framework. And then once we sort of like be able to kind of pull out some themes or some kind of salient moments, then we get to be in choice about what we, how we think or feel or act on it. And to me, that is free will, right? That is, um, the definition of being empowered. Um, so I don't know if I distinguish between them, um, necessarily. Does that, I'm curious what you, what your thoughts are. It, it sounds like what you're saying is that, um, this moment of calling or obligation might be, um, a data point, a very strong data point, but then that upon reflection and, and understanding, uh, how you might make a next step, that's where free will comes in. If, if, and you incorporate that, that moment and that feeling that you had when you were engaged in that, in an activity that, that felt very profound to you as a, as a strong data point to help guide that next step. I think that's beautifully put. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see here, uh, going back to when you, when you, did all this research, you uncovered this word purpose. It sounds like you have uh, a definition for it for yourself now. Um, I'm just kind of curious, what did you start doing differently when you, after you did this research into purpose? Like, how did that change your life? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, in so many ways. Um, it's for me, um, sparked me to write a book. Mm -hmm. uh, which I called work on purpose. It, that then sparked me to, um, help support. And, and at the time I was very much focused on, on young people. Um, and, um, in this case, I was thinking about, um, college aged, um, young people that led me to kind of, um, spread my entrepreneurial wings at Eklund Green, start a new program. So I, I can't even, on it's one of those things you can't unlearn right mm -hmm. and um and so it basically touched everything wow so what is your definition of purpose so one i i, I give credence to the folks over at stanford at the center for adolescence where i know you had heather malin on your podcast recently and um, Dr. Damon and Dr. Bronk, Dr. Menon, who have who basically their definition is Purpose is a stable and generalized intention to accomplish something that is at the same time meaningful to the self and consequential to the world beyond the self. That definition resonates with me. I also like what Kajdan, um, Dr. Kajdan has said, which is purpose is defined as a central self-organizing life aim that is present when present purpose 
is a predominant theme of a person's identity. The way I see it is that there's kind of like these um, two axis points, like polarities. So the, and if you can imagine um, kind of like a, like a a graph um, where on one side of one axis point is that purpose is self-organizing, right? It's, It's intrinsically and uniquely motivating and impactful for all domains of your life. Like you are, um, connected to this thing very deeply. So on one level, it's self-organizing. And at the same time, even though it's inside you, the impact is beyond you. On the other axis point, it's a perspective life aim. So perspective is that it actually is in the future. Um, and life aim, meaning that kind of like you can organize your whole life through it as a result of it being, um, that big. I like to think of it as a ray of light as opposed to a point, like a goal is a point, purpose is a ray of light that kind of is into perpetuity. Um, yet it's not purpose if it's not in action today. There's actually things that you're doing um, in uh, real time that are connected to purpose. Okay. So so yes, I hear you're saying that it has to be beyond the self. Um, it has to have that uh, future orientation or give you this perspective of where you're going and it needs to be something that you're taking action on today. So what what would you say your purpose is today? <laughs> yes. Um, so I'll, I can tell you my purpose statement. I am the glow of compassionate love, energizing highest life attainment for all. I've had different iterations of this, but that is the statement that everything else kind of fits underneath that. And I do believe that having a statement that can be at the highest level um, is very helpful in confirming um, for people uh, who are interested in purpose. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, and it's interesting because I, I imagine that for some people, if they were to hear that purpose statement, they would say, "How you know? How do you? How is do you take action on that on a on a daily basis?" Um, but if as, as I hear it, you know, if, if I'm a glow of, you know passionate love, I could imagine that, you know, for my, my family, um, for my colleagues, uh, for the person I meet at the grocery store, for uh, a client or students, if you have, uh, that that's, that's as absolutely actionable um, if you really stop to think about it. I think there are a lot of myths and traps that are connected to purpose that I'd like to demystify mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to make it more accessible. Because I think most people nod their head and say, yes, yes, I want to have more purpose in my life. Um, but then it becomes scary, too big, too um, consequential. So it just becomes this, this kind of mysterious concept that we want, but don't necessarily know how to apply. And so one of those myths is in in my opinion is that it um, needs to be a mission statement. I think some people uh, do articulate their purpose in terms of something that's more mission oriented, like a particular cause or a particular problem in the world that that they that they want to see a solution or see through a so, a solution, a change, a shift. Um, but I think for most of us, it actually is somewhat generalized in my opinion, is something that we live every day through who we are. So it's down to the um, energy and virtues and values um, 
kind of the roles we take on, the mindsets that we embrace, the how we treat people kind of um, in our everyday um, interactions, um, our micro decisions. And that makes purpose a lot more accessible. And so part of my purpose statement the glow of compassionate love is for me a reminder of the that the virtue that I think is the most important for me personally, which resonates with me the most, which is love. In my opinion, lots of other really absolutely critical and important virtues come from that. But it all in me for me starts with that kind of mama of all virtues, um, which is love, and that becomes a way in which um, purpose gets realized on a day-to-day basis for me, which is reminding me that, um, to love people, to love people in the way that makes sense for me. Yeah. Kind of in the small and big ways. You you know, one of the, it's interesting that you, um, have this, this mind frame towards purpose, that it can be more of a value rather than a specific mission or a objective of, of sorts. Um, I know for me, one of the struggles I've had with uh, purpose is that um, I often uh, find that it, it has both uh, positive and negative benefits. But um, when I when I say this is my purpose, I have almost this like identity anxiety, like, is this really me, you know, am I am I going to tell people like on the air that this is what my purpose is, and how <laughs> will others re- respond or react to me? And what if it isn't really my purpose, and I change it? Um, so, did you do you find um, that any of that came up for you when you developed your purpose statement, or have you other people seen people struggle with that sort of thing um, when they're coming up with value based or versus mission based purpose statements? Yeah, I would say that, first of all, I think that um, the way that I teach purpose is that it has an element of what I call a within component, which is, again, your value, virtue, role, energy, um, presence, and a beyond, which is your contribution, your family line, um, the kind of thing that you want to see change. And for me, um, it's helpful to have an pr- overarching purpose statement that includes components of a within and components of a beyond, which helps make um, purpose both something that is lived in that day-to-day, in action today, and part of a perspective life aim. So for me, a glow of compassionate love is the day-to-day, the within, and energizing purpose, a highest life attainment for all is the kind of beyond component. So mine, it feels big to people and that's hard. And so adding, so some people add, um, everyone's process is a little bit different. And so for some people, it really um, comes to them pretty quickly and then they just feel confident and they can say it out loud. And for other people, they really spend time letting the language unfold and kind of organically surface um, until it feels quote unquote right enough Um, So I would say that there's no kind of right or wrong way. The thing that I try to emphasize is get some language around it because um, it's, it's helpful to narrow the world. uh, And uh, however long it takes, it can become a really, really empowering lens that 
organizes our life. Um, and then own it. <laughs> and owning it is saying it out loud because it is by the power of you saying it and owning it that really inspires other people. If you you are concerned, not you, but yourself, but one is concerned about one's other's judgment, another person's judgment of your purpose statement, then it becomes a question of like, who, what, what are you concerned about? And who, who is this person to you? And why, like, you know, there's, there's a lot more to unpack there. Um, but if you feel good enough about it, it is something to share. Um, because it is in many ways, a gift that you can give yourself and other people to understand who you are and what's important to you. Oh, wow. That's a, I think that's helpful for both, uh, for me as I, as I think about it, um, because I, in part, because I'm, I've got some purpose statements that I feel, uh, really confident in, and, and others, which are still forming and, and, uh, as I, and I, and in some that I've shared broadly and broadcast and others that I'm, um, still mulling over and making sure that they really fit, but I like your encouragement there to make sure you get it down, um, and to to then get it out uh, and and perhaps inspire others to develop purpose statements of their own. Um, do, so you you've mentioned multiple purposes. Is that it, it, what is there some magic number or or what do you think? Does it make sense to have purpose statements in various domains of life or how how do you think about yeah you know uh, an overarching purpose statement versus um, other ones as well? I believe that it's very helpful to have an overarching purpose statement. And then from that place, it's a powerful practice to then create statements within different domains. Um, and you can imagine having a family um, um, purpose statement. Uh, so with a partner, significant other, with kind of a family clan, whatever it might be with children, um, having a family one, or you can have a personal one that's about how you act with your family. You can have one that's connected to work, but I do think it should dial down from an overarching one. Another myth is that your purpose, in my opinion, and I think there is uh, different people have different points of view on this. Uh, in my experience, purpose change, purpose statements, overarching purpose statements can shift. Now, do I think that they shift significantly? Like it's like orange and then it's blue um, in one's life? It's just to kind of um, use an analogy, I, I don't think that usually happens. But as we grow and develop and we have different experiences, those different experiences inform who we are and, and so much of purpose rests on our identity. And so therefore, um, it should shift and change as we shift and shave, change. I think that as we become older or um, our relationship to our career, if we become parents, that often has a profound effect on our understanding of who we are and our role in the world that should shift. Um, it doesn't always for all people. Everyone again is this, it goes back to your previous question, the free choice. Um, it's up to you to decide what has had a significant shift or change, but I do think purpose statements change and that part of the, the process here is to to recognize when you've outgrown a purpose statement. Yeah, and um, then then um, you can 
employ a process, a reflective process to kind of get it back to or create new language or imagery that better aligns with where you are right now. And wouldn't it be beautiful to kind of see someone's life um, through their purpose statements, like as you're reflecting on someone's life? Um, um, it's just, it becomes just an incredible summary of the life they've lived and, and, and what's meaningful to them um, in such a owned way. It goes back to that ownership piece. Yeah. Uh, well, that I think that's really helpful, uh, Laura. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that I really wanted to, how I first heard about you and I really wanted to um, talk about is that there's, I, I've been fascinated by the topic of habits for quite some time, but never yeah. uh, heard someone who speaks to habit formation and purpose specifically. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's something that you've you've thought about. How do you actually make sure that you incorporate your purpose statement or statements once you've had one into your daily life? Um, so what do you recommend to people who want to establish good habits around purpose? Right. So the reason why I, I also got excited about habits and purpose is because purpose should be lived in your way. If, if purpose is a way of being, then it needs to be brought into your daily life. Now, to make a purpose a habit, I the reason why a statement is so helpful is because, again, it adds language that has meaning to you. That it, You could take every word in one's purpose statement and kind of blow it out, right? Like, you know, I have the word energize, right? Why, why do I have the word energize or, or not just love, but the glow of compassionate love? There are reasons why I pick those that language, why the, that those words resonate, and to me, if you that all that meaning is embedded in this kind of succinct statement. But what the thing about a statement is, I can say it over and over again every day. I do. I say my statement when I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed. Um, I was talking to someone who went to one of my workshops uh, yesterday and she writes it on the top of her, her purpose statement, on the top of her to-do list Oh wow! Okay. Of, at work every single day, because it become, it become, again, it becomes what I call mantrified. Um, it can just be um, just a reminder until you don't even need it of who you are and how you want to live. And therefore, it can jolt you out of those moments where you're kind of out of integrity. And that doesn't mean that we don't slip up and we don't, we're not annoyed or we don't feel, you know, strong emotions. Strong emotions aren't, or, or negative emotions are not a, necessarily a bad thing. Um, it just, again, becomes something that, um, uh, an, an, a data point for us to bring back purpose and kind of, again, be in choice about what we do with it. Um, or how we let it flow through us or how it informs a decision that we make. Um, so that's why the statement can become modified that then becomes internalized in those kind of micro decisions, the day-to-day, -day, plus those kind of bigger cascading um, actions that we take. Yeah. So it sounds like the, the first thing that you do is just have the statement, that that's the critical underpinning of it. Um, it sounds like if it's succinct uh, enough to be easily kind of remembered or, or memorized, then that's also pretty helpful. And then the the second thing you do then is to 
uh, it sounds like mantrified is your your words, where effectively mm-hmm. you're finding a time to say it on a daily basis or get some sort of uh, reminder like your co- colleague or friend does of putting it at the top of her to- to-do list. Yes. Um, I've, I've heard so many stories that once you have a statement, how it can be utilized in um, big and small ways, um, another uh, another person who has a purpose statement was telling me about how not only did it um, help him understand that he had outgrown a particular job, that it was that his role um, there there wasn't enough alignment between his purpose and a particular role, and it just took that the process to be able to kind of really articulate it more succinctly. But then when he, it became much clearer to see what a better role would be. And once he sort of, you know, and this took time, but once he was able to see a better role for himself, then it became actually language he could use in describing why this role was a really good fit for him. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And I would put that in the the beyond uh, so, you know, the within and beyond, that was kind of like some big actions that that this individual was taking and how purpose statement can kind of be um, internalized and turned into both a habit and something that gets employed and really kind of kind of those key inflection points. Right. And so it's almost as if the, uh, the the daily action of the reminder of the mantra just shed light on it just it, again and again and again on the current situation and allowed him to see that it wasn't the right fit for him at that macro level and allow him to take that bigger action. Yes. Right. So uh, one of the things I'm I'm wondering uh, is is if we can do a little mini workshop on me. Uh, I've got a, a purpose statement that probably hasn't been fully refined yet, but uh, it's around family. Great. Um, would Would you be willing to uh, help me think through like how I could actually, um, you know, modify this or or enact <laughs> it on a daily basis? Absolutely. Okay. Great. Um, I find that there's a daily opportunity to be my best self around my family. Um, And that's why, and when I do little things like, sometimes I'll just be like listening to an audio book on parenting on the way home from work. And it takes my headspace out of work and just gives me little ideas for how I might tweak my behavior around my kids. So, Mm -hmm. um, Anyways, my my vision here is to contribute to my family in a way that creates a safe, kind, and connected environment where together we relax, have fun, share household responsibilities, trying to get my kid to do some chores, <laughs> and support each other as we live out our purposes in the world. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. You're you're welcome, and I. It's interesting for me because I I do find that we find ourselves in a family. We we fall in love, we get married, we say we want to have kids, and yet I find that sometimes I'm I'm missing. Like, how often do I actually say out loud the the goal or the my vision for being in a family? Mm. And the truth is, I I, I it's more like a a nagging. Um, fear of mine that I'm missing some opportunity. I mean, my kids are five and seven. Mm -hmm. These are the the golden years of parenting and I don't want them to slip by um, without having kind of the best experience I can. So Mm. what, what might I do? I I, clearly I could, 
from what you've said, it sounds like I could uh, further refine my purpose statement if I need to. I could start finding some way to say it on a daily basis. Um, what what would what would you do? I would actually first dial up, and what I'd be curious about is what are the values and virtues when you're living out this particular purpose statement? Like, get really clear on what those values and virtues are that have informed this statement. There's some embedded in there, but I'm just curious um, if something comes to mind for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, one of the uh, linchpins is the word kindness. Like, I want mm. to be kind to my family and I want them to learn that as a value. Mm. And that, so, so, so that becomes an elevated um, word in the statement. Yeah. Yes. So mm-hmm. that's so, and, and why is that an elevated? What's, what's, what's so important about kindness to you? I mean, I just think that that's, uh, I don't know. It just feels to me like a, a core value of how, I want to show up in the world and how I want others to show up in the world. Um, I, I think that that just makes for a better world to have kind actors. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I can, I can hear it. I can hear it in you. So I think that as you're kind of dialing out of this and like kindness is this kind of bubble that this statement is contained within. Um, I think that can really inform, um, the day-to-day behavior, right? Especially mm-hmm. um, kind of to like double click on kindness um, as uh, your own behavior um, in, in parenting, as well as um, when you recognize it in, in your children, in your partner, um, in other people on the street, right? Just it's, it's part of like a day-to-day noticing um, and mm-hmm. recognition. Um, but then you can kind of think about um, um, how it then, and, and I'm just kind of zeroing in on this one word. There's a lot of words. You said safe, connected, relaxed, fun, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. things in there. But just wanted to kind of get to the kind of thing that w- had the most power in it for you. Um, you yeah. can think about how then um, you can ritualize um, because there's so many ways in which you can, right. We, 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 we kind of can create rituals around things that we think are important. So what would be some rituals around kindness that you could imagine would be part of your family life? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that oftentimes we try to start a dinner time family meal saying something we're grateful for. And one, uh, I think that that's a, a great practice too, but one tweak would be to say, you know, what's one thing, one thing that was kind that we experienced or witnessed today, or maybe something a little bit more kid-friendly language, but just to increase the noticing and awareness so they could bring an example from school or something that happened at home, but it'd be just increased attention. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
Yeah, I I actually asked my son that. Um, not every night, but um, I asked, how are you kind today? And uh, and it's so funny. They're actually studying that in his class um, where they're, they're noticing each other and they have this whole wall of um, actions that they, and so now it's like fun to catch each other in kind acts um, because it's kind of been mm-hmm, mm-hmm. turned into a game a little bit. Um, and then I, I also ask how, when did you laugh today? Um, but I love that. Okay. So that's, it could be part of the dinner ritual. What else? What else is another ritual around kindness? Uh, we've been doing this, uh, thing where we give out kindness stars, uh, and it, it, it used to actually be like a physical glow in the dark star that they could put on their ceiling. Um, and now it's just the words that, you know, we'll, we'll, when we notice things happening in the moment, we call it out as as kindness. So it sounds like your family has already internalized kindness in really beautiful ways. Is there a way to kind of um, turn up the volume on it that's available to you now or in- interesting to you at this moment? Or do you feel like what you're already doing is something like with the tweak and um, continuing with this kind of calling out um, the stars that that feels good to you right now? I, I think some of it, yes, we do have some rituals around them, but they, um, I think what's missing is that maybe just that intention every day to use use the word kindness mm. uh, in an intention or to have that daily reminder um and if i set about an intention of kindness in my daily life frankly if i said you know what's one kind thing i can do at work today um then if i if mm. i had that intention outside of my family as well as within my family i think that that could be a strengthening of it Oh, I believe that. <laughs> yes. I totally believe that. I think that would be great. And what about what's what's standing in your way of living out the statement or kindness in particular? Like what's what's a barrier that you can anticipate? I think that there one of the barriers could just be conflict around uh you know, I I made the joke about household chores. I mean, you know, just things like how do you when you're trying to to need to reinforce uh, behaviors that you want. Um, sometimes it's just as frustrating uh, as a parent to <laughs> uh, get everybody to pitch in and help out. Yeah. And so that could be. Uh, oh, for sure. Like the amount yeah. of effort to sometimes get someone to do something, it's that's where we often do it ourselves, even <laughs> though <laughs> that's yeah. not the point, right? <laughs> So what I experienced, yeah, yeah. So yeah, keep going with that. So, so, so to me, sometimes that's also just a skill thing. Like I can get um, really, uh, I don't just sort of more disciplinarian or like authoritarian in my approach. And I know that there's better approaches, um, but it's mm-hmm. sometimes hard to in the moment remember what those are and reflect on what they are and, and implement them. And so that's where for me that ritual of trying to listen to some sort of parenting book even if i'm half tuned out usually there's something that i capture that might help me change my behavior in the moment and actually (laughs) act more kindly when i'm instead of getting into a power struggle with my kids yes right okay so it just it's a um you're noticing that sometimes in those moments especially when you're triggered or feel frustrated that you 
have a particular way of parenting that might not completely align with the statement. Um, yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's some, so, so, so you continuing to listen to the podcasts or the books or the tips or the tricks around parenting mm-hmm. helps you. Um, I also wonder if it has, could you imagine sharing this uh, statement with your family? If you haven't already? Yeah, I, I absolutely could. And could you imagine um, what conversation might happen if you shared it with your family? Like what, 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 how, how would you share it with your family? And what would you like to do with it if you share, or, or what would you like them to do? Or what would be the opportunity there? I think the opportunity would be to make it a family statement. So I think it's, if, if I'm an individual actor in, in the family, then that has one level of benefit. Um, but if the family shared this as a family vision statement, I think that that could be really interesting and powerful for us to take that on and, and something mm. that we would come back to. That's, that's one opportunity that I see to right. just get family alignment on it. Yeah, this is my family purpose statement. Can we use this as a taking off point and see what people want to add, mm-hmm. change, shift, completely mm-hmm. rework um, to, that we're all in agreement to create a family purpose statement and then hang it somewhere, <laughs> right? Uh, make, a, make a beautiful sign or uh, commission, you know, your dad to come up <laughs> with some great art for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I would just, again, say that there's, um, there's the b- blowing out each word um, I think helps kind of see, see how this gets actioned. Um, and then also, um, uh, understanding what gets in the way, right? So that you're anticipating what the challenges are and you already have, uh, a solution in mind so that it's really easy to grasp. I think that that's something that, that I work with a lot of my coaching clients on is like, what if, when this, or if this happens, what are you going to do? Right? Like that pre-thinking is super helpful. And then like, really um embracing the vision and the possibility of it which you just did in just a few minutes like all those out steps you took on uh in your family purpose statement really beautiful wow well in yes in just a short amount of time we were able to look at my purpose statement um think about some ways to make it actionable uh, <laughs> uncover the barriers that might get in the way and embrace the, that uh, future so um what did you know moving from me to uh, the listeners uh, what advice would you give to someone who hasn't yet developed a purpose statement or who has one and is uh, trying to get to to ground it in their daily life through habits do a little reflection like to, to me I think asking okay so first of all purpose is the meeting ground of who you are genuinely right at your core and your heart like just who you are it, um and who you aspire and want to be, right? It's kind of that that sacred uh, overlap between those two two um, elements. And exploring both of these can be the foundation of purpose. So I think that there's a series of questions that people can ask themselves. So some of the questions that I would ask is uh, as as one's exploring purpose, and you can really write your own purpose statement, um, or you can get support from someone or you can kind of create a circle around it with a bunch of friends. But I would ask, what are kind of three to five values that have been part of who you are forever? Right. So like you learned in your youth and they just stuck with you. Um, 
Another question that I ask is, what's irreducibly you? I think looking, those are kind of within questions. If you're thinking about some of those beyond questions, as I was referring to earlier, do you think that looking at the family line, it's another unique thing that I add to purpose, which is where did I come from? Like who's like, what, what in my family line, um, which is cultural history, literally my family, we started with family in this conversation. Uh, do I want to embrace and carry forward? And what do I actually want to heal or stop or uh, eliminate? I think being very deliberate about family line um, and purpose. I think a lot of people, again, talk about purpose and work, but I actually think it, it purpose and family is a really big um, kind of a, in some ways, a bigger circle. Um, so I look at family line. Um, what kind of contribution do I want to have in the world or in my community or on a particular um, issue or a population or a place or like, like what do I want to shift, um, support, change, um, deepen, expand? I think being able to answer that question is also really um central to purpose development and answering those questions, I think is the kind of the input, the fodder that is put someone well on their way of, um, creating a purpose statement if that's where they want to go next. Uh, beautifully said, Laura, and thank you so much for sharing uh, your purpose statement with us and all of the good, uh, wisdom that you had today. It is such a, an honor and pleasure. And I'm, uh, thank you for all your really, really, really beautiful questions. I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share and, um, to, um, spark more purpose development in individuals all around, all around the world. Wonderful. All right. Thank you, Laura. I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Laura Galinsky. In the couple of weeks since our interview, I have been really working on cultivating kindness in myself and in my family interactions. I've taken to the habit of more consistently listening to parenting books on my bike ride home from work, which helps me transition from work brain to dad brain and be the best parent I can. I'm not perfect. But I'm curious to hear what you've tried and what works with parenting or otherwise. Do you have any habits that reinforce your purpose? what works and what doesn't. If you want to learn more about Laura Galinsky, you can find her where I did at lauragalinsky.com. That's L-A-R-A-G-A-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. I'm really excited to see what she's able to do with The Genuine and hear more about how she can further the purpose movement. I'll leave a link to find her in the show notes. On the next show, I'll be speaking with Dean Still. Dean has dedicated the last 30 years of his life to building the perfect stove, but not the kind of stove that you and I know and think about. He's trying to make a perfect cook stove that costs less than $10 for the world's poor to dramatically improve indoor air quality for the over 3 billion people who still cook with a wood fire. Thanks again to listening to this episode of Ignited with Meaning, where we're exploring the terrain of a meaningful life, taking steps to become our best selves, and feeling more fulfillment. I hope you're walking away with some ideas and inspiration for your own life. If you are, please share this podcast with a friend who you think would really get something out of it. Until next time, be persistent, keep looking, and together we'll build the lives we want. <music>